Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 117 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 12th, 2010. We've got a good show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a bunch of your questions. If you have any questions or comments, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez later on the show. Got a lot of recruiting to talk. It's the May evaluation period for USC. And, of course, we love talking to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Coach, what's going on? Well, Ryan, I don't know. I'm getting ready for uh, fall camp. First of all, I'm going to take a little vacation if I can during the summer months and uh, get charged up for this coming football season. But we'll continue with our broadcast throughout the summer to bring everybody up to date on what we know about what's happening with USC uh, football or any other activity or questions that people might write in or call in or whatever they want to do to you, uh, and I'll be happy to answer any of those questions. And I just want to clarify one thing before we get get going here. When you all send in questions, I honestly answer them in my opinion. I just give you my opinion. It isn't right. It isn't wrong. It's just my opinion. So uh, I appreciate your questions. So keep sending them, and uh, I'll do my best to answer them in a in a positive and negative way not negative i'm never negative i'm just giving you my opinion okay ryan since we got that done how about us usc southern california tickets sir yeah sctickets.com they're lovely enough to sponsor us thank you so much sctickets.com 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything concerts sporting events even taking your wife or girlfriend to the theater southern california tickets they really help us out Give us, you know, you can help them out, give them some business, send it their way. You can get the best prices in Southern California. Again, it's sctickets.com. Coach, I know you used them a bunch of times before, and they really helped us out. Oh, they certainly do. And I tell you, they get you great seats. And, you know, they, you know, you just be upfront with them. Just tell them, hey, this is how much I want to spend. Is it possible? Can I get them or whatever? And they'll tell you. And I think that's all you want is honesty and uh, having people be upfront to you. All right. Well, Coach. Well, let's get to some of these questions here. Um, again, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Uh, Talani was uh, delighted last week uh, when we mentioned his name on the podcast, and he had a follow-up question. Um, thanks for sending us another email, Talani. What do you think as far as the linebacker roles, Coach, for Chris Galopo and Devon Kennard? There was a lot of talk about them this spring. What do you think their roles are going to be coming out of the, you know, going into fall camp, do you think there's going to be a package where they would put both players on the field at the same time? Yes, I do, especially on first down situations or against teams that like to run the football when you need to be a little bit more physical. I think they're going to, you're going to see the best linebackers on the field at one time. It doesn't do you any good to have a great player, a player that should be playing, watching. It hurts your overall schemes, your defense, and so on. And I think when fall camp comes around, Chris will learn a little bit more of the strong side linebacker, uh, maybe even the weak side linebacker in case someone goes down, and I think Kennard will do the same. But I think Kennard is destined for the middle. I really believe that. I think Glippo, being an older player and a more experienced player as far as playing in the 
in the middle will be the guy that will sort of spell either the strong side or, or weak side linebacker. And uh, I'm not saying Michael Morgan's not doing a great job, but I think the more physical you can be as a linebacker group, especially against a running football team, the better you are. You can always substitute and pull people out and put quicker people in, and depending what they're doing uh, with their schemes on offense and if they decide to throw the ball on first down because you have a linebacker in there. But remember, Gallipo's not slow. Gallipo's about a 4'7 linebacker, 235 pounds, so he's not slow. But, you know, they always try to have mismatches on your backers. And if they, you force someone to throw on first down and it's incomplete or, they don't, or if they get off schedule and they're running football team, now it's second and ten if it's incomplete. And they're not, they don't like second and ten. They like to have second and, and six or whatever it might be. So you try to do what you have to do to win. And I think that's what uh, Monty Kiffin will do with his defense. He'll put in the players that are necessary to beat a scheme or an offense and what their philosophy is. No, I agree with you, Coach. And, you know, I think they felt, in the spring at least, there was four guys that they felt very comfortable with playing with Smith, uh, Morgan, Gallipo, and Kennard. And we'll see what happens in the fall. A guy like Glenn Stanley comes in and, and they, you know, put him at the weak side or something. I mean, who knows? It can open up a little bit more. You know, with the numbers they had, I think that's what they felt comfortable doing. Uh, you know, using those guys however they could. And I think that's why, towards the end of spring, they moved Gallipo around a little bit just to make sure that, hey, if we want to get both of these guys on the field at the same time, if we feel maybe these are our two top linebackers, who knows? I mean, whatever they're thinking, they wanted to have some options with that. And I think, you know, thanks for that question again. But I, I think that's certainly an option that they want to use. And I think that's one of the things this staff has really focused on is I don't think they want amazing talent sitting on the bench you know they want to figure out a way to get it on the field somewhere and favorites whatever it doesn't matter it seems like they want to get the best players on the field however they can and I think that's why I mean they stated that right away moving Kennard to middle linebacker from the get-go I agree with you and again as you remember last week I spoke about special teams and I said you're going to see a lot more players on special teams you're going to see athletes on special teams and you're going to see more linebackers on special teams why they're fast, they can tackle, they're physical, and Horton and Morgan, and these guys are going to be playing special teams. You watch, going under punts, going under kickoffs, and so on. You're not going to have just a guy out there playing to give him turns. I really believe that. I think the special teams are going to be a lot different than what you've seen in the past. Okay, Coach, let's get this. That's a good segue to the next question. Uh, Gavin, it was more of a comment than a question, but he was a little concerned with some of your comments last week uh, on the kicking game. What would surprise him was that um, you know you were critical of the kicking game in the spring because a lot of times teams use the spring to get their kicking game on track. But USC coaches early on said they were not even going to use the ball in the kicking game during the spring. They obviously did. They pulled it out a little bit, but they, they didn't do much of it. Um, we, you know, from what Gavin's saying, we clearly have no idea what the team will do for a kicking game. But it's a little unfair to attribute the lack of kicking game in the spring huddle to the lack of kickers when the coaches have already declared they wouldn't work on the kicking game until the fall. If you want to make some comments on that, Coach. I'd love to, and I appreciate his comment. And if I do say something you want me to clearly explain again, I'll certainly do that. I wasn't being negative to the kicking game. I was just saying that the kicking game is one-third of the football game as far as one-third offense, one-third defense, and one-third kicking game. And if you're going to spend uh, one-third of the time uh, on your offense and defense, obviously – you need to spend time that where you can improve your special teams. And I said that I don't know of many 
college football teams that in the spring don't work more on the kicking game. That's what I said. And I said, also, I was surprised that they didn't use their kickers in the spring under full rush as far as punting and kicking the football. And I also made the comment that I didn't think that possibly the kickers there were the kickers that a national championship team or a Pac-10 team, they are possibly good enough to win with. Because once you cross the 50-yard line, you've got to be able to be in scoring territory. And uh, the one field goal that was attempted in the spring was under no rush whatsoever, 42 yards. It was short and off to the right. And that, to me, indicated, hey, wait a minute, there could be a problem here. I didn't say there was. I indicated that maybe there was. And uh, I think that you need to work on that portion of your game as far as lane, snappage, coverages, kicking, the whole part of the kicking game as far as if it's going to be equal to what you're going to emphasize as far as during the regular season. And it has to be equally as important to your players as far as mentally, as far as getting into kicking game and the special teams that they know you think it's really important. Now, John Baxter obviously knows what he's doing, so I'm not being critical of John Baxter. I'm just saying that it was strange to me that more of the team portion of special teams wasn't done. Yeah, I, I think it was a little strange as well, Coach. And John Baxter's a guru. He knows what's going on. But even, you know, we were critical last year when uh, Aaron Corp was put into a situation where they never named him the starter, you know, for that Washington game. Well, I mean, you could also maybe be critical that they never really kicked. Uh, Joe Houston goes in there for a longer field goal for his range, which you think Jake Harfman might be the longer field goal guy. Only going to have one chance, and then they go for you know they never kick a field goal the rest of the time. It puts a lot of pressure on somebody you know in that situation. So it, it was strange. I mean, it definitely was weird that the way they used you know the kickers this spring. But obviously, in the fall, it's going to have to be a much bigger portion. So I think we'll get a much better idea of what's going on in the kicking game when the fall comes around. And you know, so obviously in the fall, they're going to be working more on the special teams. They'll probably put more additional time to the special teams. Uh, than uh, they normally would do because uh, Lane Kiffin and everybody know special teams are important, especially in the Southeastern Conference where they really emphasize the special teams. I remember when I coached the Japan Bowl, Johnny Majors was the head coach of the other team. He specifically coached in the All-Star game special teams himself. The entire special teams, kickoff, kickoff, return, punt, kickoff, field goal, field goal, the whole thing, he coached that himself to make sure the All-Stars knew that the special teams were going to be a very important part of the game. So I know that the special teams will have a lot of attention in the fall. I just go back to say that it seems as though it was a little strange that more time wasn't done or spent in scrimmage situations with the full unit. All right. Well, Gavin, thanks for that question slash comment. Gavin's from Minnetonka, Minnesota. Well, so we got a, a Minnetonka list there. Thanks again, Gavin. Um, you know, he's got to be pretty excited about the Trojans going back to Minnesota next year. I would think so. Yeah, anyone, uh, Trojans in the upper Midwest there, you know, I think, uh, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota, any place that area, you might be able to make it out to the game. So I think they should be pretty excited about that. Um, you, know, you know, I ought to let them know that that's going to be quite a game for us, too, because the head football coach at the University of Minnesota, Tim Brewster, played for me at Pasadena City College. So that just tells everybody about how old I am. Wow. So, you know, I was a young kid then. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, 
But uh, he did, and uh, certainly uh, he has done a great job of recruiting there, and I think he's going to turn around the Golden Gopher football program. Could you tell he had the uh, coach's mentality when you were coaching him? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's, he, he played three or four different positions for us. Then he went on and became a high school coach. After being the captain of the University of Illinois team in the Rose Bowl against UCLA, he was a high school coach, and then went with uh, Mac Brown at North Carolina. From there, he went to Texas and was there recruiting coordinator at Texas, and then uh, had the opportunity of going to the San Diego Chargers. Uh, he he, uh, he found Gates, their outstanding tight end, in a gym playing basketball. Then he was with the Denver Broncos, and then got the head coach at the University of Minnesota. In fact, I went back there at one time and visited their team and him and so on. And, and the new stadium is just absolutely fabulous. So all the Golden Gopher fans have really got to be proud of their program. And by the way, you know, their colors are the same colors as USC. <laughs> yeah. Does Brewster remember you, Coach? Huh? Does Does Coach Brewster remember you? Oh, he, what does he remember me? Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me? We talk once or twice a week. What oh, are you talking about? Does he remember that's, me? Well, I wasn't well, sure. He, I'm not. I'm not that old. I'm just saying you want to cut all ties or anything from Pasadena oh, City College. No, no, no. You, you know, you have so many coaches that are out there and players that are in coaching and lawyers and doctors, like Dwayne Walker. You know, a lot of people don't understand. Or know this, Dwayne Walker, the defensive coordinator at UCLA, who's now the head coach at uh, New Mexico State, was a, a player of mine, too, at Pasadena City College. And they went on and played at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> so is that unique? I mean, really. So uh, now uh, is doing, I think, a good rebuilding job with the Aggies there in, in Las Cruces. All right. Well, there's a big coaching tree out there. It seems to all oh, the branches seem to intertwine quite a bit, but we're glad we get to tap into your expertise, Coach, because you've been around a little while. Not too long, but you've been around long enough to uh, – know a lot of these guys um all right next question we have something from martin this is a little concern i think people have talked about this on the message boards sometimes so he wanted to know uh on espn they were commenting the fact that alabama attracted ninety-one thousand fans to their spring game they're defending national champions while only fifteen thousand showed up for usc's spring game which is called the trojan huddle he wants to know do you think this means that alabama fans care more about their team than USC fans do, or is it simply a case of there's a lot more entertainment alternatives available in Southern California versus Tuscaloosa? What do you think about that? Well, no, I don't think their fans care more about their football program than USC fans. I don't know if there's a bigger fan anywhere than Southern California football fans. Uh, Of course, the Southeastern Conference is publicized so much about how much they love football and so on that they do get extra marketing, publicity, and exposure uh, from all of that. And certainly when uh, 91,000 people show up to a spring football game, you say, wow, that's a lot of people. And don't think they got in for free either. Uh, they probably paid at SC, I think we paid $10 to get in. They probably paid 25 30 bucks to get in down there at the University of Alabama. But it's a religion down there. Here it's a sport and a, a belief in your university and and that down there, it's it's a religion. You can be a University of Alabama football fan, and if you have a a family member that's an Auburn fan, that uh, you don't even talk to them. It's it's one of those things you grow up being an Alabama football fan. You don't have to go to the university or the college, but your great great grandfather went there. And uh, and yes, it it is a, a a point of where there's less to do in Tuscaloosa 
than there might be in Southern California. And, and, and of course, they follow it more. There's more press there. Here in Southern California, they listen to our broadcast. They read Gary Klein's column and Scott, Scott Wolf's column as far as what's happening with spring practice. But you see the papers even cutting down their spaces. I mean, they used to have more space on USC football and UCLA football or just football in general. Now they've cut Gary Klein down now to where he barely has an article regarding spring practice at USC. In Alabama, spring practice is the full page, the full page of what's happening uh, in practice number seven and who did this and that, and, and it's a religion. So obviously when you, when you promote it and you don't have the Lakers in town or the Dodgers in town or you don't have a lot of the professional competition that you do have here in Southern California, all the money, all of the marketing, all the the newspaper articles are centered around two football programs, Alabama, Auburn, and uh, Florida, and those type of schools down in the Southeastern Conference, which is great. I think it's great. Nebraska has a great following. Ohio State has a great following. They have something like 85,000, 90,000 people go to their spring game, too. But in Southern California, really fifteen to 20,000 people at a spring football game is a pretty good number in the spring. It really is. So... Uh, it, we're not trying to compete in the spring. You know when you compete, it's in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> you never care what the halftime score is, do you? You care what the final score is. No, good points, Coach. And it, it's I think it's frustrating for USC fans to, sometimes, and I think part of the reason we started this very podcast was because of the, the issue that was brought up here. Spring football is a huge deal in places like Tuscaloosa or you know in Nebraska. I mean, it, here it's hard to even get people to talk about it. And I, you know, like you said, the newspapers have cut down their coverage. We obviously blow it out because that's what we do. We cover USC football. I mean, we're, we got two or three stories from every spring practice. We got video, we have photos. We have a lot of stuff going on. Spring ball is a big thing for us to cover. And we do that and we cover it here on the Peristyle podcast, not just uscfootball.com, but we talk about it on the Peristyle podcast. I'll get phone calls coach from around the country to do updates on USC spring football. Uh, a station in Alabama or a station in Texas or a station. I mean, they want to hear about what's going on with USC spring football. I can't get the local, the local um, sports talk radio shows to even mention USC spring ball. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, you can't get interviewed on there. You can't get, they don't even talk about it. All the talk is about Lakers, Dodgers, things like that. So when you're talking about a major metropolitan area like Los Angeles, even though there's two, you know, Division One colleges in Los Angeles, USC and UCLA, two major programs, major players in the college football world. It's really a pro sport town, and and the pro sports are going to take precedence. And as, you know, with locally ESPN uh, seven ten ESPN, the uh, local um, sports talk station that covers USC, they got the Laker contract recently. Spent a lot of money to get that Laker contract. They're talking Lakers any chance they get because they, you know, that's what they spent their money on and they want to do that. So it's hard. I mean, it's frustrating, I think, for fans because you want to get more of that out of season USC football coverage. But the local media, I mean, it's really their focus is going to be on the, the pro sports teams. And, you know, when USC season rolls around, they'll certainly talk about it. But where it can be a year round sport in, in Tuscaloosa, it's not, at least by the local media here in Los Angeles. I think that's the nature of a few things, but I think the average person walking down the street in Tuscaloosa could be a huge Alabama fan where the average person walking down the street in Los Angeles doesn't have to be, I mean, they might not even know anything about college football. It's a bit, you know, obviously a big city. There's a lot more people, 
but there's a lot more diversity as well. So there's a lot of people that just, you know, part of their culture isn't really to, to go to USC football games or, or get into college football. So I think there's a lot of factors in play, but thanks for the question, Martin. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting topic great. to discuss for great, sure. Great questions. And then let me just uh, finish uh, with one, uh, another portion of his question. Number, number two, two, television coverage. Uh, they have their practices on television down there. Not only that, they have their spring game on television down there. They have uh, their track meets on television down here. Last weekend, we had the UCLA-USC dual track meet here in Southern California. A huge meet. Just a huge meet. Great athletes and so on. It wasn't even on television wasn't even covered. Why isn't the USC spring game, as well as the UCLA spring game on television, as far as for the fan that can't get out to the Coliseum or so on, and for the marketing purposes of, of Pac-10 football? And so on. now they had the Oregon game on. Now, I don't know how many people ever had a chance. I, I ran home in time uh, from the SC scrimmage to uh, watch the Oregon uh, uh, spring scrimmage. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've got to be able to Sell, but remember, there are millions of people here in Southern California, and in Alabama, there aren't that many people. So they have to be allied with one or two different things, and that's what they do. Plus, they have a lot of fans that are out of state and so on that do support their university strongly. But when you look at a university like USC, you know, there's a lot of statistics out there that are never published or never you never hear about. Like you take Ron Alice, and I don't mean to jump to another subject here. You take Ron Alice, the director of track and field at USC. He coaches both men's and women's programs. To win a dual meet against UCLA is almost unheard of. When you think about the tuition cost at USC, 12 scholarships, and the way you have to break those down to go against UCLA, uh, where the tuition is much lower, the same amount of scholarships and so on, when they break theirs down, they get more athletes that are on scholarships and so on. And for him to be able to have a dual meet team at USC to defeat UCLA is almost unheard of. Yet, one of the number one stats, too, he has 131 people out for track. Think about that. That's more athletes than any other sport at USC. That's men and women. To think that of all the sports out there, you would say, what sport has the highest grade point average? You'd say golf, tennis, something that has eight kids or so on, ten kids. You know what does? Track and field with 131. And you look at the rankings with all the principal things they put together of the top teams in the country that are graduating their student-athletes. And the top five is USC. Do you ever hear that? Do you ever look at the stat where you see that the USC football program is one of the highest graduating-rate football programs in the country as far as this formula? No. So a lot of the positive things that happen are never publicized, and that's really a shame because good things deserve as much publicity as negative things. So, you know, when, when I look at these things, you know, and you get me on a tangent like I'm on, <laughs> okay, I, I, I just uh, want people to know that there's so many things that aren't written about, and there are so many things behind the scenes that happen. There wasn't even an article except for the score in the Times on Sunday regarding the USC-UCLA track meet. I couldn't even find who ran what or what happened. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. That is crazy. Yet that's the difference, see, because they're trying to ride on the Lakers and all the Dodgers and all these other things that are going on. So 
it's really a shame that those athletes don't get more publicity. It is a shame. And, you know, we're going to try to expand with, with that happening. Obviously, you can get everything you want at uscfootball.com. I mean, that's all we do is we cover USC sports, mostly football and basketball. But we're going to make an effort, too, to try to expand and cover some of the other sports as well. And they're not always as popular, but at least have a resource for people to go to and they can check it out. But that's, I mean, it's unfortunate. And, you know, it, it's just the market that USC fans are in. It's a big city. There's there's a lot of professional sports teams. But, you know, it gives us uh, an, an opportunity to cover stuff that, the, the major you know players in the media don't really cover. So we're down there at every off-season workout, shooting video and photos and doing interviews. So all summer when the players are doing these unofficial practices and you would never hear about it on the radio or newspapers or anything like that, we have all the details on uscfootball.com. So it's a good place to check it out. And we'll, of course, talk about it here on the Peristyle Podcast as well. And, and let me tell you, uh, all of our listeners out there, spread the word. Because a lot of people don't know this is available. Not my portion of it. I'm just talking about all the videos on recruits and all the things that Ryan puts up on the website. It's tremendous. I go to the website. I look at it daily to see just if there are any more verbal commits in football and this and that and the videos on the recruits and so on. I'll tell you, it's fabulous. So rather than keep it a secret, tell your friend who's an SC booster and let them find out about this uscfootball.com because it's, it's valuable. If you are as hungry as I am about what's happening in the USC football program or, or football or whatever, then you gotta, you got you to gotta pay an extra price. you got to go a little bit farther, and you'll get the things you want to know about. And I think that's what's important. All right, Coach. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for the little plug there. Well, that was unexpected. No, um, it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the truth because you're not going to get it now in the media. And you're exactly right. Uh, as far as the sports stations in town now are not talking about football. They're talking about uh, their sport that they cover. And you can't blame them because those sports pay their bills. So you can't blame them. But if, you, uh, you, if you're looking for the extra fix that everyone needs as far as football lovers year-round, then you have to go to these type of programs like we're doing to get the daily or weekly update on what's going on. Cool. All right, Coach. Well, thanks very much. And uh, everyone else, thank you for the questions out there. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We love answering your questions. Gives us lots. To, there's always lots to talk about in the off seasons, but we uh, love getting to those. It gives us some different topics every week, and you can kind of direct the, um, you know, point the direction of the show where you want it to go. And we, you know, we love doing that. So again, thanks a lot, Coach. And we'll talk to you next week. And thank you, uh, Ryan. And thank you for all of our listeners out there and those questions. And uh, keep them coming. Yeah, and thanks to SCTickets.com. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking to Gerard Martinez about USC football recruiting. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to jo- we are joined by USCFootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez in this segment. He's going to talk a little bit 
of USC recruiting. That's the main aspect of what's going on now with the program. The May evaluation period's in full swing. Gerard, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, did you enjoy your Cinco de Mayo? Uh, I did. Um, you know, it comes and goes, though. It's uh, not much of a Cinco de Mayo, and there's nothing really much to, to kind of hang out and have a good time when the May evaluation period's gone because as the coaches are on the road and they're hitting different recruits, I mean, we're right there following, covering, you know, trying to keep updated on, you know, who the guys are, you know, getting the most attention at this point because this is going to shape the class. It's going to shape, you know, really the target list and, and who USC really wants to recruit hard as we get into the summer and obviously official visits start to line up uh, during the season and after the season. So it's a, it's a big phase. It's really that, that first phase uh, of the recruiting process. Um, although I guess with this, particular staff with all the scholarship offers that went out in, uh, in in February and March. It's actually kind of the second phase, I guess, with this coaching staff. I mean, they came out uh, blitzkrieg style, offered a lot of guys, um, and that contact period contacted a lot of guys, and now you have them actually going on campus and visiting a lot of guys. So it's, uh, it's a little different. Maybe it's a little more of the second, third phase of the recruiting process for them, whereas maybe the Pete Carroll staff, this would be the first phase. So uh, we're all learning. We're all on our toes. So Cinco de Mayo, hey, it was great. You know, had a margarita, <laughs> but it came and went. Uh, we're working. We're getting content up and uh, trying to uh, cover this thing as much as possible for the fans out there. Yeah, whatever phase it was, I mean, the coaches have certainly hit the road. And, you know, they tried to make a splash. And, it, you know, you get the feeling that they felt like, well, maybe USC wasn't, on some of these national kids as much as they should have been before the staff got here. They knew a little bit more of those national guys, some of those names that were, you know, across the country as opposed to some of the local guys. They needed to get out there, you know, extend some scholarship offers. This is the first chance they really get to go out and see some of these guys in person during the May evaluation period. So it's got to be a critical point for this coaching staff. It's definitely a statement period, and I think this coaching staff definitely wants to make some statements, um, not only locally but nationally. And, and just, yeah, thinking to myself as I'm going and talking about it being really kind of the first phase uh, of the recruiting process, I said to myself, no, not really, not for these guys. I mean, these guys, this is the, the second, third phase of the recruiting process for them. I mean, they made that statement uh, going out and offering so many kids nationally early on and then uh, making that statement uh, April 15th, the first contact period where they were calling kids and they were the first staff to talk to almost every kid um, that we contacted that we were in touch with. Um, and again, that's kind of making a statement. And I think going out across the country, starting there in the southeast, um, you had Willie Matt Garza, you know, going through Florida, hitting Georgia, uh, seeing guys like James Botters and, uh, you know, some of the top players there like Damian Swan in Georgia. And now you got, uh, you know, Ed Erdogan was hitting some of the local schools, checking out some of the guys that had offers. And now he's down there in the southeast. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's always fun because he's from that area. And he, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that are leaning towards southeastern schools, some of them even committed. But I can tell you, if there's one guy that can switch and one guy that can flip it up, it's Ed Ergeron. And he is just, he's a monster out there in the southeast. And, and you've got them up in the, you know, mid-Atlantic state, hitting Virginia, checking out guys like Curtis Grant, big-time linebacker, maybe the best linebacker in the nation at 6'3", 226. Uh, 
from Richmond. A lot of people really excited about him after the Blacksburg Nike camp. Um, Travis Hughes, uh, you know, a lot of guys, Quinta Thunderbird, a lot of guys in Virginia and that New Jersey area that just offered a kid of running backs, Vaughn Huggins, uh, who's about six foot one ninety, running back from uh, St. Peter's uh, Prep up there in uh, New Jersey. It's the same high school that Will Hill went to. So, I mean, they're really, they're really hitting it hard, and I think it's really showing up at that campus uh, just being seen, you know, just being visible in the recruiting process for these kids. And you get a guy like Edger Erdron who's, I mean, shoot, he's been in the blind side. I mean, he's a, he's a celebrity now. Um, you get that guy, you know, and all of a sudden he pops up at your high school and it's like you hear that voice. I mean, that's a statement, man. You know, it's, it's not so much about, oh, they got to evaluate these kids. Do we really want to recruit these kids? You know, some of the guys, yeah, they want to get eyeballs on. They want to make sure, okay, we offer this kid. Is this kid for real? And then they want to find some more kids that are targets. But for the most part, a lot of these guys, it's just about, hey, we know what you're about. We, we like you. You know, Ray Drew, 6'5", 235 defensive end from Thomasville, Georgia, crazy good-looking defensive end prospect. Uh, it's all about showing up on the campus and just letting him know, hey, we're coming across the country because we want you. And that's what, you know, it's about. It's about those statements. And, again, you know, it's a phase after phase after phase for this coaching staff. Yeah, and, and just so people know, it, this isn't a time where you can go out and you're not visiting, you know, the players' homes and stuff. You show up at their high school when they're doing their spring practice. You can talk to the coaches. Uh, I think the bump rule is in effect where, you could, you know, if you bump into the kid, you can say hello or something. But there's not really some extended contact going on between any coaching staff in the country when they're out visiting a recruit at this point. But you are on campus so that people know, hey, the, the you know, USC defensive line coach Ed Orgeron is on campus. And there's kind of a buzz going on around there, even though. So there's a lot of kind of uh, communication that's nonverbal between the two parties in this in this respect because you have a you know a big name coach on campus even though you can't be direct interaction there is some interaction there just because the presence that's felt there if Ed Erdogan is within a 10 mile radius of you, you will hear him. Uh, so, I mean, it's a presence. I mean, he, you know, it's who, who's, it, who's that? Who's that? I mean, you could just imagine, you know, him coming through the quad of your high school and, uh, and, and whether, you know, and, it, and like you said, you know, it, the coaches can't talk, but it's, it's definitely they're wearing their SC gear. And I mean, they're seen, they're known and every, and it's a little bit of a buzz. It's like, Oh, USC's here. You know, when you're going to school out there in Virginia or you're going to school out in South Carolina and you're, you know, Jay Davion Clowney, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, the USC here. It's like, you in South Carolina? Yeah, South Carolina's cool. It's like, no, the other USC. Oh, okay. Those guys came all the way from Los Angeles to check me out. You know, they came 2,500 miles across the country to check me out, and, and it's that kind of statement that they want to make, and, and that USC has made, you know, continually, uh, you know, over and over again nationally, because it is one of those schools that is a national powerhouse when you're talking about recruiting. A lot of schools, I think, in this decade have kind of followed suit. Schools like Florida uh, and LSU, these schools are kind of going and go, man, you know, USC, they, they didn't just stick to California. They didn't just stick to you know everywhere west of texas they went out across the country and i think they could do that because uh, of the university the alumni i mean usc does differently like notre dame kind of has that national prestige you have a lot of people on both coasts that are from los angeles or went to usc now live in new york so there is a little bit of that expansive um you know uh, following of usc and it allows the coaches to go out and kind of do the same thing with recruiting but now these other schools you know they want to kind of follow suit and do the same thing so it's exciting i mean for the kids and, and you know you get 
you get dozens of coaches coming to the high schools and they're just lining up. And it was funny because, uh, I think, uh, I think it was, uh, Ray drew that I talked to and Ray was just kind of chatting about, um, the process and kind of, uh, you know, kind of the experience and the insight that you get that a lot of people don't experience, you know, being in the shoes of a top rated recruit. And he was in there in the weight room, he's lifting weights and Notre Dame coach came in and kind of watched him and was talking to his head coach. And, uh, he went in and put a set in on, uh, on power clean, looked up and bam, there's a USC coach. There's Willie Mac Garza standing there. And he's like, man, that was, you know, you have Notre Dame and you have USC and they're literally walking in, you know, a minute <laughs> after each other. And it's kind of funny. I mean, it makes, sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you've got, you know, a few different coaches that are kind of waiting around in the coach's office or in the principal's office. And they're waiting to, you know, uh, check out a kid or go up to the practice field. And, you know, there's a little bit of that, uh, that awkwardness for the kids because, you know, they know everybody kind of wants to make that statement and, and to be seen and, and to say, hey, you know, we're here from this school, and they might be rivals sometimes. So it's a it's a weird deal. It's it's um it's kind of one of the the more exciting parts uh, of the May evaluation period because once we get into the real season of things and we get past the season, that's when the pressure starts. That's when it really starts to heat up, and then the kids are tired of it. I mean, by October anymore. Kids are sick of it. They're burning their cell phones. You know, they're they're they don't want to hear about recruiting anymore. They don't want to hear about favorites and all that kind of stuff. And it becomes really monotonous. So it's still kind of a fun, exciting period for them, and and it's fun to cover it right now. It is, and I think there's some strategy involved as well. We were, I was down uh, uh, last week at at Modern Day with, for uh, Max Wittick. We did an interview with him. You can check that out on uscfootball.com. He's the modern day monarchs quarterback that committed to usc um you know down there and you know victor blackwell is another prospect that usc hasn't offered quite yet but he's a you know he's a big name prospect there was a coach from another school that i won't mention that was there uh it was actually uh, an out-of-state school that was looking at victor blackwell and i think just having him there on the sidelines watching i i think it, it got the attention of all the players as well I mean, whenever you have a coach from a major college program at your practice, I think even the younger kids, you know, kind of get jazzed up a little bit. And it's probably, you know, there's some strategy involved there because there might be a, a freshman or a sophomore that you want to kind of get their attention early on and just, you know, having that presence there early, I think can only help. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it, it's just not always sometimes about the seniors, not always sometimes about those guys that are going to be the big time recruits next year. It is also it's making that impact with the program in general and being seen and kind of having that presence for the younger guys because sometimes it impacts them even more. I mean, they've never even seen a college coach and all of a sudden they're out there as a sophomore and, uh, and they've got this guy that's, you know, kind of a, a big name guy that's a coordinator or what have you. And it's like, wow, you know I mean? Geez, this coach, yeah, that that's cool. I remember, you know, when he came to the high school, uh, you know, so many years ago. I talked to uh, Cyrus Hobby, who's a big offensive lineman, uh, six about six five, three hundred pounder, a guy that might be an offer guy for USC down the line. Uh, is probably going to play guard. Uh, Arizona's got just a, a really good group of offensive linemen in state uh, this this coming year, and I talked to him about uh, Joe Barry coming to the high school and. And, and Joe Barry came up, and there was Arizona State, and there was a few other schools, and I was talking to him, and, and at that school that he goes to, uh, you know, Corey uh, Adams was a big-time big defensive tackle that had come through, I think, two years ago. And he had signed in with Arizona State, but his, his final three was, I think, USC, Ohio State, and Arizona State. And, you know, Cyrus was a sophomore at that point. He remembers being in class and, you know, seeing 
uh, at Corey Adams getting pulled out of class, you know, to, to go and, and see these coaches and so the coaches could, you know, see him and, and he, you know, he could just be visible and know who's kind of showing up and who's showing interest for him and he's coming in and out of class and it's like, wow, I never thought I would be at that point. You know, he's sitting there in history or whatever the heck class it was and just going, man, I, you know, that's crazy. I, I can't believe that I'd ever be in that position and bam, he's in that position. So, you know, as a sophomore, the process is already impacting him. And, and those coaches that are showing up and, and showing interest, you know, that already is making an impact for him. So, yeah, it definitely kind of it, it, it kind of goes down the line a little bit, and, and it's not always about the here and now. Sometimes it is about the future. Well, one last thing on the May evaluation period. We want to get to some, uh, some questions. How much is this going to set up, or is it, are the coaching staff at least trying to set up some of these out-of-state, some of the bigger-name out-of-state prospects to come and camp at USC because you know they like to evaluate these players in person. It's harder for out-of-state kids to you know fly out and do summer camps far away from home. So if you have a kid from Florida, Louisiana, or something like that to come to LA for like the Rising Stars camp, might be a bit of a you know a hassle for them. But how much is the coaching staff trying to do trying to set that up so they're going to get more out-of-state campers coming to their big camps? I would say that's the next phase. I mean, I think that it's a big, big selling point. Um, they want to, you know, make their make their faces shown, make you know, be visible, and then you know, get that call back from the kid or from the high school coach saying, "Hey, coach, thanks for coming out," and really selling that. Hey, we came out to see you. We know you got interest in USC. Reciprocate. You know, come on back out, and you know, let's let's you know let's get out here and you can see the campus. You can see Los Angeles, spend time on campus with us, you know, get to know us as a coaching staff. That's the real part of it. It's kind of like putting a face behind the name and then saying, listen, you know, we made the trip out to see you come on back to see us. So that's a very significant part. And I, and I know that's really, you know, the, the dialogue that goes on during the May evaluation period. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about getting those kids out back in June and getting them out for the rise. And you, with, with out-of-state guys, it's all about the Rising Stars kids. With some of the local guys, you know, you can get them out for the skills camp. You get them out to the lineman camp. There's a couple camps there. Uh, I think it's, what, the 14th and 15th or the 12th and 13th. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, a little earlier in June, USC will have those camps. But, it's you know, the big-time out-of-state guys, it's always focused on the Rising Stars camp, that two-day camp uh, in late June. And this is this is the point in time where it's like, all right, got to set this up. we got to make it happen now. You know, let these kids – know that we want them to get there specifically. And you also gauge, you know, who's really interested in that. Because, it, you know, the guys that are going to be the guys that are the real targets, that are the serious targets that USC has a shot at, are usually the guys who come in and unofficially visit. Guys who come in and spend their own money to come out to USC and see USC because it's a very serious consideration for them. Um, the guys who don't, they're, they're still going to have a shot at a handful of guys, but, you know, it, it's few and far between. Most of the guys that they've signed over the years um, that have been out-of-state guys, uh, the majority, those guys come out and they camp, and there's a, there's a little bit of a bond that's made there um, you know, at the camp, and, and that's a significant part of the process. It's that relationship, and you can't build that relationship unless you, know, you get, to, get to be there and, and hang out with the coaches and, and get to know them as people. And so uh, that's really, you know, for an out-of-state guy, a camp is usually the only, the only time that can happen unless they come out for you know, an unofficial visit during spring ball, which uh, there, there really wasn't a ton of guys that did that this year, so it's going to be more about the camp. All right. Makes sense, Gerard. All right. Let's get to some questions here. Uh, first one, this actually came in just before the deadline from last week. So sorry about that. This is from Kevin. And if you have any questions 
Always, we love to hear them. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll try to get to everyone that you email to us. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. If you want to send an audio file, we'll play that right on the podcast as well. We haven't had one of those in a while. Those are kind of fun. So if you want to do that, feel free. But Kevin wanted to know how many scholarships will be used for positions of need, such as linebackers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and cornerbacks for this recruiting class. He's referring to the class of 2011 and and uh, Kevin, we actually had a feature on this. Well, I don't know. How long ago was it, Gerard? Like uh, a few weeks ago? It was more than a few weeks ago. I think it was early March. Uh, you're talking about the USC the scholarship breakdown, right? Yeah, we did a scholarship breakdown for offense and defense. And uh, did, was it by position? Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was a, defensive tackle. And, yeah, we and broke defensive them out. End, yeah, and, and uh, broke it down as to... You know, the class grade that was from last year, you know, what, what, who they got last year, uh, how many players, and talked a little bit about that. And then, you know, talked about the target outlook, and really uh, it was a feature target. You know, the guys that they're looking at as a group, but then the guys they might want to focus on and actually some players to watch and a snazzy little pull-down menu. So uh, we went through, yeah, every every position. Uh, even I think we even dropped kickers in there, which was a rarity, you know. Yeah, and, kickers. Uh, you love yeah. that. <laughs> Love the kickers. Well, this year you got to love the kickers because SC needs some kickers. Yeah, there's, so, no, there's no yeah. hardly any around, and uh, they're all going to graduate. But if you go to uscfootball.com, there's like a little bar underneath the logos. It says like home, news, message boards, database, stuff like that. All the way to the very end, there's a little button more, and down there there's offensive scholarships and defensive scholarships. So um, you, you know each position you can check out how we broke down the scholarship breakdowns, and we'll try to update that too probably sometime after the May evaluation period, but it's all, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in there, a lot of good data. And, uh, you know, so we kind of answered that question in that, that feature already, but you know, it's, it's obviously going to be something that can change depending on what's going on, you know, with you yeah, know, even injuries yeah. on the team, guys moving around. There's a lot of factors there that could change what's going on with that. Definitely. I mean, just, you know, the injuries that have come up and, I mean, that's going to change things. You know, if a guy's injured and he stays out this year and he comes back next year and he was a senior, um, you know, Christian Tupu, that, that can change kind of the outlook and, and, you know, who USC needs for next year as opposed to who they want and, and what the scholarship numbers actually look like a year from now. So, that, oh yeah, all that kind of stuff, it, it is a little fluid and um, we'll have to update it. But at this point, I mean, it's still looking pretty strong as far as the, the general gist of, you know, who they want to get and, um and really the numbers they want to get at each position. So it's there. There's a little bit of crystal balling there, but you'll, I think we did a pretty nice job of our early evaluations as far as the top guys that USC is going to want to recruit. Um, there's, there's most of those guys I think are in there. So it's definitely educational. It's uh it was a big old, it was a big feature to put together. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. I, I definitely go log on and, um, and just read through that. It'll take you a while actually to read through that. It's pretty long. A lot of crystal ball, and that's all we do here, Gerard, with recruiting. Recruiting is such an inexact science, but that's why you got to be on top. you got to get the best data possible. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do, get as many sources as we can, put as much data together, talk to the kids, talk to the parents, whatever you can get on there and put it on there. But even as, as good as you can get, things can change at the last second. It's crazy. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly not a science. We've learned that. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that question, Kevin. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you have any more questions, uh, Martin has a question. He's a Philadelphia area Trojan fan. And want to start off by saying he's a longtime Trojan fan living in Philadelphia. 
Been listening to the Peristyle podcast on my way to work since the beginning of the year. I enjoy the show very much. Thank you very much for that. Uh, hopefully, you're listening on your iPod or something safe. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, you can download it from iTunes. It's free on there. You can sh- search for Peristyle podcast if you have your iTunes and your iPod or any MP3 or a- any MP3 player hooked up. That's a good way to go. But he has a recruiting question for Gerard. Do you think that USC will look to add another quarterback to the class of 2011 in addition to Max Wittick? You know, that's a tough question. I, I, I kind of think it depends on how the other positions stack up, especially when we just talked about it, kickers. You know, and, and does USC want two scholarship kickers? Do they feel like they can get a guy that's going to be a quality kicker or punter that could be a walk-on? What about a long snapper? I mean, you could maybe want a scholarship a long snapper. Now that uh, you have Coach Baxter there, a guy who's a specific special teams coach, a guy who has the – the pedigree and the reputation for being a great special teams coach. He may push to get more guys like long snappers scholarship in. He may not want to, you know, wait around and look for a guy that, you know, he can get in as a walk on USC is a private school. It's very expensive. This is not like UCLA. It's not like Cal. There's a lot of schools that, you know, it's a little easier to get in on a quality guy. Who's a walk on that's tough to do at USC. So, you know, that's, you know, second quarterback is a luxury to have in this class. Um, I think Cody Kessler is a really good player. Uh, he's, he's camped. You know, I, I, I think they're still looking at him. I know that they actually went in and they evaluated Brett Hundley as well um, from Arizona, who's more of a dual-threat quarterback, a, a little more of a, a, an option-type guy. But we've seen him play, and he's been very good. He's got a great arm. He's a pretty accurate kid. Um, you know, a lot of schools in the Pac-10 are going after him. But like I said, a little more of a dual-threat-type guy. So, you know, USC's kind of kept their ears open. There's another kid out there who's another dual-threat guy that, um, you know, they, I, I can't remember. I don't think they've actually evaluated him yet. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater from Miami, who's another guy that's a little more of a runner type, smaller quarterback, um, but still a guy that you know USC was looking at early on, maybe going to offer a scholarship. So there are those other options out there, and they are continuing to evaluate them. And I, and I think it's smart because you know what, you know Max Wittick, you, you went down and talked to him at Modern Day just you know the other the other day, and he talked about not taking official visits, and he talked about really being focused and and wanting to go to USC. Um, but we've heard that before, you know. I mean USC kind of has to cover its bases just. As Max Whitick will maybe cover his basis, his, his mind might change somewhere along the line, and he decides, you know, I want to take official visits. You know, that I, I think, you know, there's a great opportunity at this school or that school, and USC can't be left high and dry. You know, they have to have some options, and so, you know, you do due diligence, and you go out and you evaluate these guys, and you keep in communication with them. So, I mean, they're doing that. It might not be because they want a second quarterback. It might be just because they're covering, you know, making a plan B just in case something happens with Whittick, or it could be that, you know, hey, if we have the right and we have the ability, maybe we want to get a second guy. Maybe we want to bring another guy in here that we feel is going to be a good quarterback and uh, and let them battle out and see what happens in the end. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you look at the roster of what would be coming in for the class of 2011, um, you know, Matt Barkley will still be on the roster. And even this spring, obviously Mitch Mustaine will be gone, but there was Barkley and Mustaine. And John Manugan, who's a, a really good walk-on that could have gone to other Division One programs on a scholarship, um, you know, he's in there as well. The coaches didn't feel all that comfortable only having two scholarship quarterbacks, and they, they moved James Boyd over, and he's getting a shot at quarterback right now. We'll see how long that lasts. But, I mean, if that's that could be some indication that they want to spend some more scholarships 
uh, on quarterbacks. But then you have Jesse Scroggins coming in, and then, of course, Max Wittick, if he does end up signing, and he's a verbal to USC right now. I don't know. I mean, that would be, you know, that would add a fifth scholarship quarterback for the, you know, if you get a second one in the class of 2011, plus a high-quality walk-on like John Manugan. So, it, you know, I don't, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I, I, I like your point where it might be more of a, they're not really needing another quarterback for this class, but what if something happens with Wittick? He changes his mind. He wants to go somewhere else. There's some kind of contingency plan they would need to put in place. Yeah, and you brought up a great point in James Boyd. You know, I didn't even I forgot about James Boyd moving the quarterback. We'll see what happens with that. I mean, you know, he's he's you know, two different positions. This is his third. He's played defensive end. He's played tight end. Went back to defensive end. Now he's a quarterback. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I mean, if his position is going to be quarterback, then you don't need five scholarship guys. You just, you don't, that's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't see them getting too, if they feel really comfortable with him at quarterback and they feel like he's actually got a real, a real future there, um, they're not going to get take two guys in this class. That's not going to happen. But if, you know, it's a temporary thing and they're just trying to get a feel for it and maybe they feel like, oh, down the line, we can put them somewhere else. Uh, we'll see how that whole thing evolves. Um, then, yeah, that that might open up and, and be an option. And, and like you said, it's it's an option that may be more of a plan B than anything. All right. And then uh, thanks for that question, Martin. And Good question, Martin. Good yeah, question. yeah. He actually had a, a team question, too. We got, got to talk to him earlier in the sequence, but I just wanted to get him on. He had two questions. We haven't heard from him, so I wanted to get them both on. Aaron has a question. Uh, this is a question directed for Gerard Martinez, the topic of wide receiver Devon Blackman, I have to say the kid reminds me of Damian Williams. With the way he moves, he has a smooth running ability and can really make the first guy miss. I know he plays a lot of quarterback, but he's an athlete I think we should really pursue. So there's not really a question there. Uh, He was just kind of commenting, I guess, on uh, Devon Blackman, but maybe you want to share some of your thoughts on this athlete. Right on. Um, Yes, I agree. Uh, well, I agree. He he actually he might be a little faster than Damian Williams. Um, you know, 55 meter hurdle indoor guy. Uh, he's he's got some great times. He actually hurt his hamstring uh, running that event, and uh, I can't remember what his time was, but it, it was one of the best uh, that's that's been in that event in years. He's legitimately track fast, so I think in that way he might actually be a tad bit better athlete uh, than, than Damian Williams. Probably not quite as cerebral. Doesn't have the awareness of Damian right now. I mean, Damian was uh, a, a really good football player. I mean, he just kind of he saw the angles out there and, and played in the system. I mean, he played actually for uh, Gus Malzahn uh, when he was at Springdale High School with uh, Mitch Mustaine, and they had a whole bunch of guys that were Division One guys on that team. Um, which interestingly, they actually came out here for one of the Nike passing tournaments at USC and ended up. Uh, I don't know. I think they've ended a place in I think it was second maybe to Oaks Christian that year. I can't remember, but it was interesting to see Jimmy Clausen and Mitch Mustaine side by side, you know, competing against each other. And obviously, you know, uh, Clausen was a year behind Mustaine at that point. Uh, but you saw those guys out there. You know, you saw Mark Tyler. You saw Marshall Jones. Marshall Jones going up against a guy like Damian Williams. Um, you know, Donovan Warren was out there from Long Beach Poly. He had all these. It was a really good uh, tournament. Um, but anyways, uh, to to Devon Blackman, I, I think. First and foremost, the thing about Devon Blackman is Devon Blackman loves him some Devon Blackman. He wants to go out to a school that he's going to be the guy. And he's really, I think, cognizant of of the opportunity to be able to play as a true freshman. And I think he's 
going to look at that, and he's going to be swayed by that. And I think USC kind of already got that feel, and they know they love him. I, they've offered him a scholarship. They are recruiting him hard. Um, but, you know, I don't know how confident they feel with him at this point. Um, he could be a five-star level guy. I mean, he's legitimately a guy that does a lot of things you can't teach. Um, but again, I mean, you know, Washington, uh, uh, maybe even a Cal or, or Oregon, I get the feel is, is a school that he really likes because of the offense and because of uh, the things they did last year and being able to play in space and being able to do some of those kind of wildcat things where, you know, as you said, he plays quarterback in high school a little bit. So, you know, they try to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. And a school like Oregon uh, will kind of uh, revolve their recruitment around that, you know, and say, hey, you know, we can use you in a lot of different ways and, you know, use you in the Wildcat and you can maybe throw the ball and then we'll put you at receiver, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's it's really – it's not so much, you know, do they want them or they recruit them hard enough. They certainly are. It's just, are they going to feel that interest, that attention from him back? I don't know if they're really getting it at this point. And, uh, and UCLA is also a school that, you know, a lot of people early on thought he was going to commit to UCLA uh, early in the process, but he's going to wait it out. I mean, there's going to be some drama around his recruitment. I already can tell. And I've known Devon for a little while now. So, I mean, I'm not speaking, you know, from ignorance. I, I know he's, uh, he, he enjoys the attention. He kind of enjoys the process right now. And uh, I think that's kind of why USC, as far as slot receivers, has definitely gone out. And um, you know, they're 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 looking at kids like Nicholas Brazil and um, you know guys like DeAnthony Arnett and some of these more slot receivers in out of state because I think they feel like, all right, you know, we like Devon Blackman, but we can't put all our eggs in that basket. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for that question or statement or whatever it was. But hopefully, you already answered <laughs> what you. Uh, what you wanted there. Yeah, there's the USC's pretty full at, at wide receiver right now. So if that's a big factor for him, looks like that's going to be a tough sell. But we'll see. Who knows? Like we said, anything could happen during this whole recruiting process. But I guess that's all the time we have, Gerard. Uh, thanks very much for answering the questions and talking recruiting. We'll hopefully get to talk to you again next week. Awesome. I will probably be here ready as usual. Yes, we love. Well, you know, May is all about recruiting. The you know, spring practice is over. Now we've got to talk a lot of recruiting. There is some team stuff to talk about, too, but it's a big recruiting time with the coaches all hitting the road. But thanks again, Gerard, and thank you, everyone else. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.